Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Episode 286, Runaways, Season 1, Episode 5 rock bottom hello welcome to another episode of welcome to level seven my name is ben ben avery and i am here to talk about runaways right now uh that is not captain marvel not punisher we're we're back to our teen team from la and I'm here along with Agent Samantha. Hello, and I am not at rock bottom tonight, so I'm ready to go. Okay, perfect. <laughs> let's start there. Um, actually, let's start here. First of all, we are going to spoil the whole thing. Uh, up to this point in Runaways, anything is is fair game as far as spoilers go. Uh, neither of us have seen past this episode, Rock Bottom. Uh, and so... As far as that goes, you know, we, we can't spoil it uh, beyond beyond this episode. But um, just so you know, like as we're talking about rocks and the bottom of rocks, um, you know, we're we're, we're spoiling. <laughs> so post credit, we do have some discussion about Captain Marvel and um, with some feedback that we've gotten since our last episode. And that said, let's start with the title of this episode, which is okay. Rock Bottom. Which is pretty uh, literal. That's <laughs> they literally go to the rock bottom of a pit. Well, they go to several different kinds of rock bottom. What is the, I mean, they sort of explore what does that term mean? And it can be a literal sense. It can be more of a psychological. Um, it can be dealing with an addiction. It's. They did some there's some really great writing in this episode. And the addiction is to rocks. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay, so uh yeah, um this season has has had a, a handful of very on the nose titles like old school where they visited their old school. And radio on where they turned on a radio and give me shelter where they were given shelter. Well, some uh, of those are also song references too. Yeah. That's where maybe I, I'm not so certain about it anymore because of just how literal these things have been. Um, and I did not look up to see, is there any song called rock bottom out there that they might've might have been referencing, but I can do it right now. All right, go for it. But you're right. There are a lot of different ways where they are approaching and getting to rock bottom, which is the absolute um, lowest of the low that you can get to. Okay. So there's a Haley Steinfeld song called rock bottom. 
You got any lyrics there? Yeah, I have a few. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it would have to do with like things going bad yeah. in life. <laughs> yeah, this looks like about a relationship hitting rock bottom. So, uh, Yes, to their credit, while they have these literal titles, these literal titles also have double meanings and multiple meanings and stuff like that. But I'd like us to start there, actually, with The Pit. Uh, where Carolina and uh, and her father, Jonah, they go and they float down to the bottom of this pit. And in the bottom of this pit, they find a cement truck. And then she puts her hand in a crevice and light gets activated. And here is where we find out that the thing underneath this pit where they've been digging at the dig site is not a creature. It's a spaceship and Jonah is actually here to save his people on the ship. In fact, at one point he says to her, I'd like you to, I'd like to introduce you to your brother, which would be his, his son from years and years and years and years ago. This is where we are expanding the, the, the MCU here quite a bit because this ship arrived and it predates human history. He managed to eject and get out of the ship before it crashed, but the rest of his family has been buried under the rock at rock bottom for what sounds like ages before human history. Like this guy has some backstory and I really want to know what it is. <laughs> is is he like a Highlander? You know, like, I don't know. It involves sacrifices, so-called. He, he's not the first guy like this in the MCU, though, because we no. had uh, we had Enoch uh, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who's really, really old. And we also had, um, oh, I can't remember the character's name, and I'm blanking on the actor's name, but the guy from Ally McBeal, he was Asgardian. Yes. Came to Earth thousands of years ago and decided to stay. And so he had you know, different identities over over the ages. Though I got the impression that when he came to Earth, it was more like the 7th, 8th, ninth century, somewhere around there. Maybe. I got the impression it was like thousands of years, not just hundreds of years. But Okay. Yeah, it could go either way. But the point is, like those, those kind of characters are kind of cool. They're, they're interesting. And so Jonah, not a good guy, but I'm just curious, what's this guy's backstory? Like, what did he do? Where did he stay in North America and and just hang out here in North America? And then as uh, tribes would come, you know, crossing the land bridge and, and populating the North American land ma mass, was he around for that? And was he there, you know, just hanging out when the settlers would come? And, you know, we got the the gold rush, you know, was was he a part of that? That there's there's some really interesting storytelling that could be happening that won't be because it's a big budget to do period pieces and it's a lot easier to just shoot in Los Angeles as it is <laughs> instead of yeah. how yeah. it was. <laughs> Although you can find you know sets and stuff for you know those those uh, boomtown kind of things. I'm sure that there are quite a few out west. You can find either old sets like that or reenactment towns like, um, is it Tombstone, Arizona? 
Um, so there are places that they could go. Um, I believe that, I don't know if it's still kept up very well, but the set of Back to the Future Part 3, mm. the Western set, which was, I think, reused from a Clint Eastwood movie, which is funny because Clint Eastwood keeps being directly referenced in that movie. Yeah. So I wonder, I, I wonder if that set is still set up somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you have any other thoughts here about about Joe and his backstory? Is he telling the truth here? Like that's oh, that's the, that's the thing that I'm wondering is you know, he's bad, <laughs> and, and now maybe we're judging him as being bad by our own human morality of you know we don't kill people because uh, when he talks later on with um, oh who was it that he was talking to? Is it Robert? I think it might have been Leslie, okay. uh, where okay. he tells her, you know, in in nature, or, or maybe it's when Leslie was talking to to Frank, because they're talking about how Jonah says, you know, every species survives by eating someone else or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe he sees that as he's not evil. He's just hungry. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, they're, they're going to die anyway, and energy doesn't get destroyed anyway. So it's OK. Right. It's one way of looking at it. Yes. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out his his thing. Like, is he being completely honest with Carolina and is he really in it to just help his family or is there something more to it? Well, I think that he is being honest with her in a way that he hasn't been honest with many people for a very long time. Is he telling her the whole truth? I don't think so. (laughs) But, yeah, I, I do think that he is giving her a glimpse at the honest to goodness truth but he does have some malicious things that he's trying to accomplish at the same time there's caring that he has for his his daughter yes he cares about his daughter he wants to invite his daughter into his world but doing so might mean not overloading her with information that she might have trouble with because she was raised as a human by leslie and frank speaking of creatures who have been around a long time Daisy's mom on on Agents of Shield. She's been around for a very long time. Yeah, I haven't gotten to those episodes with my kids yet. They're they're oh. just meeting uh, Daisy's dad uh, yeah. in the episodes that I'm watching with them right now. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what they think of of that whole situation. And yeah, good old Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. Uh, okay, so that's Carolina and her dad. Um, this this episode is primarily about Topher, though. Topher has come into their life. And what's interesting about it for me right now is, of course, I, I haven't watched ahead. So I don't know if Topher is actually dead or not. Uh, I'm curious if he's dead. Me too. But it seems like he's probably done. He's, Maybe. We didn't see him dead. Last we saw him, he was gasping for breath, bloody, and had been crushed by that dumpster but uh Topher's backstory as he explains it is his parents were jerks that kicked him out of the house and and now he's he he's a runaway you know and so he's got to do what he's got to do and he's he's learned how to survive on the streets but the team does not trust him at all and so they're just blasting him with question after question after question he's being coy they're asking about what's in the ampule that he has there the little container of whatever and he explains that one day while he was going through a dumpster he found a terrarium with glowing rocks in it and he took the rocks and ground them up 
and this is all he had left. And they're wondering, what are those rocks doing in a terrarium, first of all? And where's the lizard now? And that's, a, I think, a valid and valuable question to ask. Yes. <laughs> um, but, it's living in the sewers underneath Los Angeles. Yeah, totally, totally. Or, yeah. it, you know, it could be old lace even. Um, True. But it's not because he's lying, which we'll find out later. But they decide to let him stay. They are asking these questions with these mysteries. But then he starts talking with Molly. And, you know, I'm just surprised how fast things are moving with with Topher. Because the next scene with him is he's talking with Gert, telling her that she can he can find her some meds. And then the next scene right after that with him is that he's taken off. He's out of there. And he took the maps and stuff of the dig site. Um, it's everything that they thought that he was going to do. It's everything they thought he was going to do, which is they thought he was going to, you know, betray them. And and he was been lying to them. And they realize, yeah, he's just after more of those rocks. This is what we thought was going to happen, Molly. You, you big dummy. <laughs> you just... Too, you're far too trusting, as uh, Grandma Tarkin would say. <laughs> as they're going after Topher, Gert is kind of hanging on to a secret, and that's that she was hoping he'd get her her meds. Carolina is holding on to a secret, and that's that she's worried about him going into the dig site. And, of course, Molly is seething because, you know, they pushed him away. And Nico and Alex don't trust this guy. Chase doesn't trust this guy. Um, they were willing to let him stick around, but they, they don't trust him, but he is at the dig site and he has found some of those rocks in some of the digging that they had done and he gets the rocks and he, this is where we kind of see what's the thematic element of Topher's story because he looks like he's a junkie getting a fix. I think that's, that's what this is. It's supposed to be uh, an actual addiction to the rocks because he didn't want to lose what he had and he definitely wants more of it. He's acting like a a junkie. He's acting like someone who I will do whatever it takes to get that next fix. He's lying a lot, twisting the truth, lying, twisting the truth, betraying, you know, um, causing people to trust him so that he can get what he wants to be able to, to move forward in his plan, thinking of himself primarily and, and not of others. And this is where, you see it. He's not a good guy. He's a guy who is in a bad situation and making bad choices. And those two things don't mix. When you're in a bad situation and you start making bad choices, it never is going to make your situation better. Ever. Bad situation making good choices, it still might not get better, but it kind of is just by virtue of doing good things. So he beats up a worker at the dig site. He carjacks a ride and it turns into a car chase with their old fashioned, whatever car that is. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's classy and they're all jammed into it. And it's really funny and fun. And it reminds me of my days in Los Angeles where Nico says, this is LA two cars turn left after the light turns red. (laughs) That's not the way it is in Indiana. Maybe one tries to slip through. Maybe. So anyway, they arrive at a house with the door torn off. They lost him, but then they see this and they, uh, he must be inside. 
and he's inside and he is yelling at his family, telling them he's going to be different. And they're talking about how he's never been the same since the accident. And then they're also talking about how somehow his dad can't walk anymore because of him. And then they find out that he was there when Molly's parents died. Ten years ago. So you remember we said about Topher's comic book origins? Yes. How he's a vampire and not a teenager. <laughs> and when he turned to a vampire, he was a teenager. So he still looks like one, but he was not a teenager. Um, they've MCU'd it. The, the rocks kept him young. And here he is not seeking out blood, you know, as a, a vampire fix, but seeking out rocks. And it's, it's, it's not a bad MCUing of it. He could still be turned into a vampire. <laughs> he could. <laughs> he could. I, again, neither of us have watched past this, uh, this episode, so anything is possible. Then again, the behavior, the stereotypical behaviors of vampires and just the s- supposed vampires through history, a lot of them deal with addiction, lies, chasing the in, sort of like in this pursuit of youth. Mm-hmm. So maybe changing him from a vampire to this, um, what was it that they called him? Um, a shady rock molester. Yes. It's not really that far off, really. If you think about the themes of the two quote unquote monsters, if you want to call it well, uh, and, what he's doing. Yeah. The addiction of the vampire is similar to his addiction here, where it's, a, it's an addiction to, um, immortality life and power you know you're stealing someone else's life literally by taking their blood and consuming it and making it your own yes and then with the rocks here it's the same kind of thing he in molly saw someone who was like him and he was hoping that he would be able to get more of what he needed from molly and that's also you know the the vampire thing where they're going to get more from you by taking your blood and that this was really interesting to find out that he actually was there when the accident happened and um, he was there at the explosion. He was not in the explosion. So she had the power kind of just thrown into her and he took the power and, and and ran with it. But that accident changed him and made him apparently more violent because Molly tries to talk him down. And then when he is not going to calm down, she powers up to fight him. And after the commercial break, she comes flying out the front door. <laughs> and, and then we get the full team fight in the front yard. And he is, he's irrational and he is not listening. And, you know, Molly believed him, believed in him and cared about him. He doesn't care. And he throws a dumpster at them, which gets blasted away by, by Chase. And then it looks like he's attacking Gert in the car and she has been staying in the car this whole time because she's having anxiety attacks and um, she's having, she, she needs her medication for her to emotionally be able to just track with what's going on. And it seems like he's going after her, but actually he is pushing her out of the way to protect her from the dumpster, which lands on him and he gets crushed by it. And this is the last we see of him in this episode. Um, like I said, haven't looked ahead to see if he survives past this episode. So I've got two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One question is, if he dies in this episode, is this a satisfying character arc for someone that we have only known for a couple episodes? If he dies? Yeah. 
Not quite. I mean, he sort of has this little bit of redemption because he does sacrifice himself or accidentally kill him or severely hurt himself to save Gert. I don't think there's really been enough character arc to say yes. But I don't think he's dead because this is not Punisher. They're not going to kill more than one person in, in an episode. So I think, yeah, and because he does not have a full arc or anything like that, um, I think he's still alive because he still has more story to to tell. See, that's where I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, they could be done with him here and it would work. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It doesn't feel like it's gone far enough. I mean, he's only been in here for a few episodes. Three, maybe. I think there was the episode where he kind of shows up at the end. And then there was last episode where he was around for the whole episode, helping them with the school stuff. And then this episode, and he's gone. Like that feels like, why are they introducing this guy only to just kill him off very quickly? Um, it, yeah. So then the question is if he is still alive, um, what would you like to see them do with him? I don't know. Maybe sort of like this roguish character that kind of comes in and out of the story once or twice a season. Because I, I, what I'm ba- bouncing between is, okay, if he's still alive, do I want him to continue this path of redemption? Or do we want him to eventually be, be become a, big a seasonal bad? baddie? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he easily could. Mm-hmm. He easily could. Yes. The other thing that possibly what they could be doing with him is just by introducing the idea that the rocks give power. Is that something that they could run with? And now it's going to be, you know, brought out with Robert or someone like that. Hmm. Maybe not Robert. I'm thinking Molly, maybe. To power up even more? Not to power up uh, Molly because she's having this anxiety issue. Maybe she well, that's, that's seeks Gert. out. Gert with the anxiety oh, issues. Gert. I'm sorry. I keep confusing those two because they're sisters. They are sisters, yeah. Yeah, maybe Gert seeks out these these uh, rocks in order to sort of um, to temper her anxiety. Yeah, uh, I, I can see it, that working. And and in that yeah. way, in that way, okay, we've introduced this character, got him out of the way now. But she's because she's the one who has no power. I mean, Chase has gloves, but that's that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Nico with the staff, which is also a, a thing, but it's it's a thing that she has. It's hers. Alex doesn't really have any powers, but he has, you know, the, the brain power. Um, Gert is the one, you know, what, what's her power? Uh, old Lace. She has this connection to um, a powerful creature, but I could see that being something that I mean, even I, if I was surrounded by those people and all I had was this connection to something that had power, I would feel like, oh, what can I do to power up myself? I could see that working. I could see that being somewhere where they go with that. Yeah, interesting. So the pride, of course, are trying to track down the kids because that's their MacGuffin is their children. And in their investigation... They realize, first of all, they're trying to uh, interview that girl from um, when they were at the school. I think her name is Eiffel. Eiffel, (laughs) Eiffel, yeah. (laughs) I mean, just there, just in the name. like. But then she's so 
vacuous. So anyway, uh, through that conversation, they realize that they were after the computer. And this computer was a hundred grand, they said. And it's from his ethical hacking class. And they realized that with that computer, he could do a lot of damage. But then they also realized that Jonah has been in contact with, if not the kids, Carolina. And Nico's dad says, I will take care of Jonah because my advantage is that people underestimate me. And it's, I almost feel like we're talking about um, Drax here. You know, I, I can be invisible. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my, my power is people don't notice me. And yeah. So we do have some more confrontations happening here. We have Leslie confronting Jonah about seeing Carolina. And she says, I want to be the one to comfort her. Let her know she's loved and not a freak. And then she's like, who are you anyway? And what are your plans for my daughter? And we don't see that conversation happen. But we do see another confrontation, and that's Frank. Frank confronts Jonah. He comes in, and he's he's kind of joking around a little bit about these two ladies who remind him about The Shining. Um, but Jonah's like, do you understand your place? I need you. Energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be converted. And take a look here. I got these pods. Bring me a runaway. And so Frank goes to see about finding a runaway. He decides he he doesn't know how he would choose someone. All life consumes other life to survive, but he decides I am not bringing back a runaway to Jonah. And Frank and Leslie hold hands. And then uh, Robert confronts Jonah. And he's used the tech from Carolina's bracelet. And he's used it to enhance it so it doesn't just dampen her power. It actually becomes something that um, is really, really hurting Jonah. And he's on the floor and he's crawling and, and Robert's like, you killed my daughter and I let it happen and I should never let it happen. Where are the kids now? Where are the kids now? And then boom. And the weird sisters from The Shining <laughs> knock <laughs> Robert out. And like, yes, did we do good, boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did great. <laughs> so that those are all the, the Jonah things that are going on here. Again, we have this really interesting dynamic of our team of teens who are mainly good you know they're they're trying to be good they're trying to to do the right thing although nico is recognizing that she's molly said it but nico's kind of going along with it like i sound like my mom <laughs> I, I don't like that i don't want to be my mom because my mom's a murdering murderer who murders well you can sound like your parent and still be very different from them you can you can uh however a lot of times when you sound like your parent, it's your the things you picked up from when your parent was at their worst and you're at your worst. And so while yeah. you may be very different from them, you're, you've picked up those habits. And it's and I say that not from me looking at my parents and how I do things, but from looking at how I do things and at my own kids and seeing uh, – it's just easier to see the negative, you know – especially if you're an Eeyore. And so I see the negative in my kids that is clearly from me. You know, I'm just, oh, they got that trait from me. They inherited that from me or they picked that up from me. I know that they also pick up a lot of positive and inherited a lot of positive. It's just easier to see the negative because it's it's more visible and it's something that causes a, a bigger reaction. And 
And that's where Nico is right now. I'm turning into my mom. (laughs) She's not too happy about that. But she has a nice conversation with Carolina because of that, where Carolina is like, you're not your mom. Uh, And Carolina explains to Nico her theory about Molly, why Molly is so upset. And that's because she wanted a connection because she didn't want to feel different. And so Topher was someone who was like her. The eyes glowed, the strength and everything. Then Topher becomes scary and Molly becomes afraid that she's scary too. Now, Nico knows that Carolina is not talking about Molly, but that she's talking about herself. And so even as Carolina is talking to Nico and saying, you know, You've got good traits, blah, 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 blah. Now Nico is talking to Carolina about, you know, being yourself. And so she allows herself to glow and be herself and everything. But that's, it's some interesting connections that are being made there. But for Molly, she just thinks of it as simple as I wanted family. I wanted family so bad. And Gertz, I'm proud of you. You're not a child. You're growing into this wonderful, strong woman and you've got family here. And it's interesting as we're bonding over these relationships here, the, the idea of family that comes out of this is family is the promise of unconditional love. Like it doesn't matter what you do. We might get angry at each other, but that bond is not going to break. Um, There is one line in that conversation between Nico and Carolina that bothered me. What's that? Carolina says, she's 14. You remember what that's like? How old are these characters? Because 14 was not that long ago for them. That's why they can remember. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it feels awkward to hear that out of a teenager's mouth because that sounds more like an adult's line than a teenager's. To me, that line felt a little more dismissive. You know, she's 14, you know, you know how that is and less, less about like they're, they're so close to it. Yeah. Another problem I have with these teen drama sort of shows is that they're written about teens, but they're not really teenagers (laughs) who are interacting because yeah, they, they may be characterized as teenagers, but realistically, uh, in these shows, like I'm thinking of One Tree Hill in particular, um, they're definitely going through some early 20s things opposed to teenager high school issues frequently. Yeah. Well, and Molly does not look like she's a 14 year old. No, I looked it up. The actress is 17. OK, that's that's actually younger than I thought. I thought she might be 18 or 19. But, yeah. I mean, they, they, they dress her in those overalls. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they don't put her hair in pigtails, which I've seen some shows do where like, okay, well pigtails, at least they'll look younger. Like, uh, I mean, Brady Bunch, man, they hung on to Cindy to make her look at like a little girl as long as possible. And it was not working toward the end there where they were really trying to make her look a lot younger than she was. And it just wasn't a good look because she, she wasn't young. (laughs) Um, another thing that they do, to try to make Molly look younger are it's not just the overalls, the shirt that she has during the fight confrontation with um, Topher. That shirt reminded me of 
Ernie the Muppets shirt because he had the same sort of <laughs> like striped, red, yeah. yellow, and blue striping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to make your kid look younger, um, dress him up like a Sesame Street Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a regular Muppet, mind you. Uh, you know, regular Muppets, they're adults, you know, but. Well, Bert and Ernie were supposed to be adults. Who knows what they were supposed to be? Like I think they, they were supposed to be adults. They were adults who were definitely not acting like adults. True. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we end with a montage. And the montage shows Gert sneaking out to go to the hospital. And Carolina sneaking out to go to her mom. And Jonah sneaking in to the pride with Robert's body. Sneaking? Well, I just wanted the pattern there, you know. Oh, so. very loose term. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. the hospital, we have a consequence there where she's told her parents will be there to pick her up in a little bit. I don't know what that means. Does it mean she actually gave them her name? Or who's going to be there? I don't know. Uh, Carolina wants the truth from her mom about Jonah. And not just uh, what Jonah has said. Although I don't know if her mom has the truth. Her mom wants to not. She wants the answers that go beyond the spiritual mumbo jumbo that they built their religion on. Um, and the truth of what Jonah actually is. But Carolina goes to her mom. So there's two possible connections to parents. Jonah comes into the pride with Robert's, Robert's body and says, I believe this belongs to you. <laughs> I don't know if he's alive or not, but we'll, we'll see. I do wonder, is, is he dead? Because he, he, he wasn't doing that much other than kind of getting him in Tina's way. I wonder if he's just close enough to life, like maybe brain dead, and they end up using him as the sacrifice for Jonah. That's where I thought they were going when I saw Jonah walking with him. I was like, "Well, okay, there's the body, you know." But I think if he wants, I think if he wants to use uh, Robert, um, Nico's dad, as a sacrifice, I think he knows that he needs to go to the group in order to sort of get their permission, because otherwise there could be a revolt following. Well, there's already a revolt brewing. Yeah, uh, I don't think he would ask for permission, but that's just because he doesn't feel he needs permission. I think that he feels he's above all of them. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So all of this happens while uh, Miles Morales is painting graffiti on the on the wall, and and it's not really Miles Morales, but it did make me think of. Uh, Spider-Man is the Spider-Verse with Miles Morales and his his graffiti that he was doing. But the graffiti is L.A. non-powered Miles Morales. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The graffiti is of a face with glowing eyes. And I'm not sure. Are we looking at Topher? Are we looking at Molly? Are we looking at something else? Is this like in honor of this of Topher who died? Or is this in honor of this glowy-eyed superhero who's been going out and helping people at night? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, Molly. 
not Gert, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, a good episode. Yeah. Um, it's a good episode. Move some things forward. Um, I'm confused, like what they plan to do with Topher, but uh, the parents' stuff is moving forward, and we're getting some answers about Jonah. I mean that that whole the backstory with Jonah stuff excites me. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, and looking at my notes, I'm also wondering after Carolina returned from her visit with uh, with Jonah. She went into Alex's room and touched the computer and sort of activated her powers. And I'm wondering what she did to the computer. I don't know if she had a chance to do it, but I think she was trying to destroy the computer so that they couldn't do what they were planning to do to the dig site. Okay. Because she's got family down there. I mean, and she keeps asking about it. Like, do you think he went down? Do you think he's going to go down in the pit? Uh, when they are getting ready to chase him in the car chase, they've seen what he's done and he's running away. Obviously he's been there. And her question is, did he go in? Why? Why is that her question? Because she's worried about what's at the bottom of the pit now. Potentially her brother is down there. Her 20,000 year old brother. Yeah. And so much, well, so much, I was going to say about this episode, but so much of this series is about family. Yeah, definitely. There's this another branch of her family that she's just discovered. Yeah. In a way that kind of, uh, kind of mirrors what happened with Alex earlier. Yeah. Where he was going to, um, to Darius's place and where he met, uh, the girl i can't remember her name but he met her there and yeah. oh the really cute girl yeah the girlfriend yeah all right well that's this episode i want to say thank you so much for listening and post credit you will hear some more comments about captain marvel and uh samantha you have any other any other thoughts here I just want to say thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, and I'd also like to thank our Patreon patrons, Andrew, Jeffrey, Tassel, 084, and Anthony. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I would echo that as well. And uh, one brief bit of news, Samantha, you might have heard. James Gunn is back on Guardians of the Galaxy 3 as director. And uh, I'm just going to say this about that. I'm glad I'm I'm glad because that means there's a, the opportunity for someone to say I'm changing and I've changed and, um, and not necessarily be held to account for all our past sins because we've, we've asked forgiveness and stuff like that. And not that what he said is excusable, but you know, it gives people an, a, a chance to see when when grace is in play. And uh, do you have any thoughts about that before I before I close things down here? Yes, and I can echo that. Um, I agree that what he said was it ten years ago. Yeah, we're n- we're we're not good. Was not good. Um, even then, uh, though I 
think since then we as a society have um, we're still learning and growing about what is right, what is wrong, how do we talk about other people in such ways? Is this behavior that we tolerated before? Do we still tolerate it now? Um, though I do believe him when he says that um, that he he feels that. Um, that he does regret it. Um, was I surprised to hear that he said those things? No. Cause I knew what kind of, uh, and I've, I've seen some of, of his work before, so I knew, uh, where he's coming from, but do I believe that he's changed now? Yeah, sure. I'll give him that chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I'm going to close on and it's very appropriate, uh, how this fits in. <laughs> that is that uh, I've seen people talk about other situations where they look at this and say, well, there's the double standard and they're letting J- James Gunn off the hook, but that's because, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I just want to say that, yes, there are double standards. It doesn't mean that you don't do the right thing in one situation because the wrong thing was done in another situation. And, and when you bring up those things, and say, well, you're sure that sure they can do that over there, but what about over there? Well, I just want to say that is called whataboutism, and it's a logical fallacy. Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling 17755-Level7. You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcome to level seven, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level seven pod. Welcome to level seven is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award winning and award nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh or clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. All right. If you have not seen Captain Marvel, then you may not want to listen to this right now because we're about to start reading. Or just plug your ears and just yeah. let you know the rest of this podcast roll. <laughs> sure. Probably the easier <laughs> thing is just to stop it right here because the rest of this this is going to be um, our, our uh, feedback about Captain Marvel. The first one is from uh, Agent 084. And uh, this came on Facebook and Facebook was down. Ironically, he the reason he put it on Facebook was because our website was down when he sent the feedback. But then when we went to use the feedback, we couldn't because Facebook was down and giving us troubles. So I'm going to read this here now. Agent 084 says, so many thoughts about the new movie. Here they are as unjumbled as possible. Right off the bat, I was in love with this character. I don't mean in a romantic way. I mean, it's Brie Larson, and I'm a human being, so partly in a romantic way. But it's so great to see a protagonist kick all of the ass and have the most fun while doing it. She's mocking scrolls. She's returning tiny little pew-pew shots with gigantic photon blasts. And she's taking absolutely none of anybody's expletive. So, Captain, my captain. 
I did notice a couple of weird shots with the de-aging more so on Coulson than Fury, but not enough to take me out of it. It was great to see those two back in the day, and I'm glad that, for the most part, it didn't completely destroy any continuity from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The only line that's troubling is Fury referring to Coulson as the new guy. Now it's obvious that this isn't fresh out of high school, Phil, that Fury supposedly recruited and trained alongside John Garrett, but there are some workarounds. He could have trained Coulson in secret for some reason. He also could have floated his detail to Carol to downplay any bond he might have had with Coulson in case she did end up being hostile. I'm not sure. I've lost all faith in hashtag it's all connected at this point. And instead, I'm clinging to hashtag it's not all connected by the weakest of headcanons. I thought the scrolls were great, even if the twist that Talos wasn't all that bad was kind of predictable. I really want a What We Do in the Shadows movie with a bunch of well-meaning scrolls living together. Can that be Taika Waititi's next Marvel project? There were so many connections in this movie that I don't think were all on purpose. The Tesseract and Project Pegasus obviously were blatant. It was fun to see what happened to it between the first Avenger and the first Avengers. Yes, that sentence was confusing on purpose. Then there's Nick Fury's unfortunate eye accident, making the Winter Line, Winter Soldier line, last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye so much better. What surprised me was the Kree inhibitor that Carol wore on her neck. It's so similar to what Daisy wears in the Ultimate Future, although it would seem that Carol simply ripping hers off inspired the Kree to make doing so a lot harder by the time 2091 rolls around. I doubt anyone working on the movie watched the show, and I don't think Clark would have had near enough input to suggest that story point, but it's a nice coincidence. I love how they MCU'd Carol's origin. I was always worried about how problematic it was in the comics. The big female hero gets her powers. How? By being saved by a male love interest and then is later named after said love interest. They kept the explosion, but it's brought about by her own sacrifice. I like to think she knew that shooting that engine would result in a blast and probably kill her. But knowing that lives were at stake, she takes the situation into her own hands and does it anyway. Some of my favorite moments for these MCU characters are what they do before they get their powers. Tony in the cave, Steve jumping on a grenade, and now Carol shooting that engine. All the same feel for me, at least. The Rambo family was very well done. Lashana Lynch's acting was very understated and subtle and sold a very controlled character having a difficult time processing the return of her thought-to-be-dead friend. She was also great piloting that ship and thwarting Minerva, even if I'm sad to see Gemma Chan go so soon. I'm excited to see Monica all grown up in the sequel and helping Carol kick more butt. Her involvement in Carol's color scheme was adorable. Don't tell me otherwise. I think the character of Goose speaks for itself, right? No need to bring that up right good i probably need to wrap up so on to the credit scenes end game one detail surprised me here shocker i know we've been told that the two teasers we've gotten are mostly made up of footage from pretty early in the movie and in that footage cap's clean shaven and widow has her red hair again i think this means carol shows up possibly in one of the first few scenes when cap's beard is still a tribute to thor Given how powerful she obviously is, I would have thought they would wait until well into the second act to throw her in and save the day. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. With Ant-Man showing up with some very likely help, helpful quantum info, Tony's inevitable return to Earth, and now Carol popping up at the facility ready to turn Thanos into grape juice, it's looking pretty clear that the Avengers are going to get a lot of help trying to piece everything back together. I think that's all. Post-credit was cute. My initial thought was the Tesseract should have burned through Fury's desk, but I heard another podcast suggesting we've only seen it burn through things when it's been active. 
tiny little plot hole filled. At this point, it's moot to try and rank all the movies one by one, so I won't try. I think I'll put this somewhere in the top third overall, and I'll knock probably one of the Guardians movies into the middle. I'm always back and forth on which one is better. Until next time, True Believers Excelsior! Oh yeah, and the Stan Lee intro broke me, so thanks for that, Marvel. And that is from Agent 084. It's a lot of stuff there. Um, a lot of stuff we talked about already a little bit, but a lot of good, good thoughts. So next from Agent Dallas. Subject is Captain Marvel. I saw this movie on Thursday night, opening night at the 7 p.m. The theater was probably 90% full. Leading up to it, I'd seen the headlines and read some of the comments about Boycott Marvel slash Captain Marvel. I was also hearing that the opening numbers were dropping, so I was afraid the movie wasn't going to do well. That being said, I left the movie theater uplifted. When I see an MCU movie, I review it in my head on two separate scales, MCU and as individual movie. As an individual movie, I thought it was good. I thought the characters as a whole were great. Most of the story and CGI effects were good. I think where the movie stood out the most were the character interactions. The chemistry between Larson and Jackson made me believe that they had worked on many projects together in the past. They, there was a lot to love about them. Talos, Ben Mendelsohn, was incredible at making Skrulls very likable and even relatable. I did not have any problem with Fury and how he was portrayed. I took it... As over the next 20-ish years, he sees a lot of things that changes him to the director we see in the earlier films. There were some small story beats that I didn't love, but as a whole, it was good. I didn't see the scroll the scroll twist coming, which was nice given that my exposure to them are that they are normally bad. I did have some issues with music cues throughout the movie. One of those was actually the no doubt I'm just a girl. I thought it was a little too on the nose to me. Had this movie come before Guardians, I may have liked it a little more. However, I think that James Gunn did it so well it is hard to match what he did. As a father of two-year-old daughter, I felt this movie was exactly what I want my daughter to see when growing up. As part of the MCU, I thought this movie was very good. It adds to the overall universe. For example, Skrulls, uh, Hala, the Kree homeworld, some backstory on Project Pegasus, which was shown in the uh, OG Avengers. Gave us a very different introduction to Ronan and the Kree compared to what we have seen on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Gave us the backstory on where Danvers has been throughout the, all the other 20 to 21 films before it. Some of the retcons weren't as strong in this movie as we have seen in the past. Avengers Initiative being the biggest eye roll of the entire MCU. Personally, as far as rankings go, I feel that it was directly in the middle, maybe leaning towards the upper half. Is it as strong as winter soldier Avengers civil war? Not to me, but I would not compare it to dark world or incredible Hulk. I have seen some say that the reveal that Marvel was a female bothered them. Why? As far as my knowledge of the character goes, there's nothing there that bounds the character to be male. I thought it, that the reveal was a great surprise and nothing about the gender swap bothered me. Same goes with the ancient one. And I'm a 30 year old Asian American male. As long as it fits the story and the writing is strong, gender swap all day. Now onto the controversy that surrounded the film. After I kept seeing Boycott Marvel, Disney, and Captain Marvel, I decided to look up exactly what was going on. I kept seeing headlines saying that Larson hates 40-year-old white males in the press. As I read several different articles, all I could find was she wanted Captain Marvel press junket to be more inclusive. That's it. And why are people just now getting upset over something she said a year ago? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like we saw the same reactions to Black Panther when people were saying that it was the first African-American superhero. And I can bet that it is the same people making a gripe over this movie. In the end, I think the box office numbers just shows that fans outweigh the haters significantly. And or a lot of the fans don't follow the same groups that 
we do. Yeah, that's also possible too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then I have one more uh, email. But before I get to that, I do want to say I was talking to a friend yesterday, I think it was. And he said basically what happened with all the people trying to sabotage Captain Marvel is that the people who are trying to sabotage Captain Marvel ruined Rotten Tomatoes for themselves. And it didn't affect box office. I mean, maybe there was a handful of dollars more to make if, if those, those people had gone, but it's, it did well second weekend too. And, um, and, but it ruined Rotten Tomatoes for themselves because, uh, it didn't, it didn't have anywhere near the effect that they were hoping it would have by, by bombing Rotten Tomatoes with bad reviews to a movie yeah. they hadn't seen yet. <laughs> so, uh, agent four, eight, four, agent oh eight four rather writes in Captain Marvel two speculation. And this message is just had a thought while rewatching age of Ultron prepping for Endgame. There have been rumors that Captain Marvel's sequel may not be taking place in present day. At first, I wasn't sure about it. It is a little close to that Wonder Woman's to what Wonder Woman's doing. Then things started making sense. Ronan obviously has much more story to tell. He didn't leave the movie on a clear plan to where he was going to be in the first Guardians movie. So he could definitely return if the sequel takes place before 2014. But there's also the Supreme Intelligence. This movie was the first time we ever had we ever heard the AI Kree leader mentioned at all. None of the Kree on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. refer to it. And it doesn't come up between Nova Prime and the Kree she was Skyping with. So where did it go? Well, what if the Captain Marvel sequel deals with another Infinity Stone? It could be that in order to save itself from Carol, it transferred itself into the Mind Stone, which the Kree potentially could have used to alter slash erase Carol's memories when they took her. Because that still isn't explained. Or perhaps the Supreme Intelligence is the Mind Stone, which could explain how an AI is powerful enough to run its own planet. Maybe in a post credit scene, a defeated Ronin shows up to Titan with the stone for Thanos, who we know lends it out to Loki later on. There are some small things that work against the theory. Phases 1 through th 3 have been titled the Infinity Saga, so it might seem out of place to stick a stone into Phase 4 movie if we're going to leave Endgame not worrying about them. But it'll be a nice explanation for Age of Ultron and why the consequences or the consciousness in the Mind Stone was so powerful and skewed towards evil. It could also explain why Vision apparently didn't get any of Ultron's menace if the creation of Ultron separated Supreme Intelligence from the stone. Just some thoughts. Until next time. And thank you, Agent Dallas and Agent 084 for sending us those messages. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some really good messages. Yeah. Yeah. But that's our episode. So thanks again, Samantha, for hanging out, talking about Runaways and, and now Captain Marvel. Oh, you're welcome. Um, And I think it was Agent Dallas's uh, response. He mentions uh, Natasha's hair. Do you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, because you had some some thoughts Yeah. There. When the trailer was released, I noticed that very clearly Natasha's hair went from a short blonde hairdo to a little bit longer, and she had not bleached her hair because that's how you get a blonde look. She had not bleached her hair again, uh, supposedly since the snap. Uh, so her red hair came out again, and because the red the um the bleach line or or the changing color was 
below her chin, I was guessing that um, there's at least a year time difference since Infinity War. Um, and last, when we talked about uh, Captain Marvel, we also talked about the differences uh, between the experiences of men and women. I, as a woman, noticed that, and I thought, oh, there's a big time jump during, during Endgame. And I just, for some reason, assumed that uh, Stuart, Ben, Evan, and all, everybody else uh, in our chat would pick up on that too, and no one did. And I didn't realize it until I saw an article that stated specifically that Natasha's hair indicates that there's a huge time gap um, in Endgame. So, <laughs> we we now have something of a time frame. Yeah, yeah. The other thing with that is that uh, the most recent trailer, <laughs> we're told by uh, the directors that they are intentionally misleading us and that there oh, will be things in the trailers that were not in the movies. I do not trust anything from the Russo brothers until I see their movies. I have learned that. Yeah, I think it's a little bit silly, but... On the other hand, you know, the, the company says we need a trailer. And so, yeah, why not cut a trailer that gives you the emotional feeling to get people excited, if not show you actual scenes from the movie? I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. When it becomes a big deal is when what's in the trailer is cooler and better than what's in the movie. Yeah. Like and a couple shots oh, from Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, though that that bit where Thor says about um, Captain Marvel, Carol, mm -hmm. he says, I like her. I wonder if that's in response to all the negative uh, attention that Captain Mar Marvel has received from some so-called fans. Yeah, I, I'm going to guess that it's actually just a happy coincidence because just because of time. But okay. if it's not a happy coincidence, that's pretty cool. OK, so. All right, that's this episode. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Thanks again, Samantha, for hanging out, and talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye.